Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, you've reached Matt Drinkon, the host for the Eternal Optimist podcast. If you continue to listen to this, you will be listening to an episode that will inspire, encourage, and help you to take forward action towards what you want most. If your luck is high right now, then get ready to have a boost. If it's low and you're challenged, then get ready to turn that around with some momentum because today you're in the Eternal Optimist Podcast Zone. Welcome. Before we go any further with our guest, I'd like to invite everyone here to go ahead and sign up and follow us, rate us, review us on any of the podcast platforms that you're on right now. In addition, you can catch Matt Drink on me, your host, doing a live stream every day, Monday through Friday, 7 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time on my Facebook and Instagram accounts, Eternal Optimist Podcast, and on the YouTube channel, The Eternal Optimist. Now, today's episode, it's with a man that will touch your heart. We'll start with a quote. God does his greatest work in our toughest times. And whether you believe in God or not, have you ever been through an incredibly difficult time where you didn't know how you'd get through it? My guest today is Mr. David Asbury. He comes highly recommended by my previous guest, Link Forrester. David is one of the all-time greats at Northwestern Mutual Financial Services out of Atlanta, Georgia. He's built a thriving business serving many families. And he's also an entrepreneur having started multiple other businesses. Today, we're here to discuss how he endured the most heartbreaking, gut-wrenching experience one could imagine as a parent, the suicide of his beloved son, Sam. I hope this episode serves any listener as a story in how to go through tough times and survive, then rebuild and learn to honor the person who died young. In this episode, David retells the story of this horrific experience. He tells the amazing, great gifts that come out of this from his friends and family. He shares how he built on this challenge by starting the Samuel L. Asbury Foundation to prevent and raise awareness for suicide. David also shares some of the frames, the way he thinks about things. How is this helping you to be a better leader? Is one of his favorite internal questions. He shares how to let go of work sometimes and how he's giving back in the community to honor his son's memory. This is an episode that will inspire you with the actions taken by this humble man. Welcome to my conversation with Mr. David Asbury. I hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. 
Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. Welcome to the show, my new friend, Mr. David Asbury. David, how are you today, sir? Great, great to be here, Matt. I appreciate you having me. It is an absolute honor and a real privilege and joy to have you on, especially since we just talked off camera about Augusta National and golf and things that uh, that are fun for us. I'm glad to have you on today. And you come highly recommended by uh, one of my previous guests, Mr. Link Forrester. So excited to dive in and to see some of the things in your world that are challenging, things you're learning from. And I'd love to take us right back and dive straight into the challenge. So if you could take it backwards in time to anything in your world that has been hard, difficult, challenging for you. What's something that we might uh, talk about today, David, that's real challenging? Yeah, I think it's uh, really one singular thing and some things that will fall out from that. But it's uh, unfortunately, tragically, we lost our middle child, my son, Sam Asbury, February the 11th in 2020, very unexpectedly. We deal with that every single day. It was something that caught us completely flat-footed. I think it's every parent's worst nightmare to have something happen to their child, probably the ultimate nightmare for them to harm themselves. That would be front and center. I appreciate you having the courage to share the story. I'll tread carefully and go wherever you want to go with the story. And I'd love to honor you and your son by talking about him. So tell me a little bit about about Sam. Let's start with that. First of all, I'll say he's one of three children. All our children are great. But Sam was just a great young man in many different ways. He lived 23 years plus. And we often say, man, what a 23 years they were. He was born November 21 of 96. The first thing I think jumps out about Sam were two things, really. Great athlete. He was an all-state basketball player. He played at Holy Innocence, one of... I think three players now who've scored a thousand points in their career in Holy Innocence history certainly could have played basketball at the next level if he had wanted to, but he was also all state in golf and had the opportunity to go play golf at Georgia State. Considered Walford as one of the folks he talked to anyway, and he played two plus years at Georgia State and got a little burnout and decided he wanted to go just be a college kid at University of Georgia. So great athlete, as a young man, a very good baseball player, and so forth. One of these kids, everything they touch, they're really good at. He also was funny, incredible sense of humor. Whether it was the family, whether it was his teammates, his friends, nothing was off limits for Sam, and he had this art about giving you a really hard time, but all you could do was laugh. <laughs> had an incredibly quick wit, very sharp tongue. And just funny, and you'd say things that you probably should have gotten mad at, but all you can do is laugh. But beyond that, he had great friends. So he just had a really great collection of friends, family, and had just a number of great life experiences in his first 23 years. But the great sense of humor, uh, great athlete, good student, just a fine young man, and met people very well. He had a natural way of engaging with people, very well-mannered. In fact, we'd often hear how well-mannered Sam was, and we go, or, you're talking about Sam Asbury? We didn't always see it at home, but uh, many people have said the apple didn't fall very far from the tree. Excellent. If you could take us forward to around that time of February 2020, what happened then, David? So Sam, as I've said, lived a very successful life and had finished up at University of Georgia in November of 2019 and was moving on to the next phase of life. He had interned for two years at Northwestern Mutual, preparing to be a Northwestern Mutual financial representative. As 2019 closed down, we celebrated Christmas and so forth, and he 
moved forward into his career with Northwestern Mutual and began in early January through the training process and going full-time to be a Northwestern Mutual financial rep and had done really well as an intern, doing great for his first 30 days. And he had expressed, even as an intern, there were a couple of occasions where I think he was a couple of down moments, but it was, at least to me, nothing more than growing up stuff, going to leaving the world of college into the real world and having to make your mark is hard. It's hard for many of us. And we probably thought it was nothing more than that. As we look back, there was probably some signals there, but once again, it was nothing more than, hey, life's tough. And it's in that transitional phase. He was cranking along. The one thing I'd say about Sam is sometimes your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. He was really hard on himself. In fact, I would say almost perfectionism. And so it really drove him as an athlete. I think ultimately it was something that caused him great pain and anxiety. He, just a couple of quick examples, you being a golfer, Matt, you could go out on a day when it's 48 degrees and maybe it's a little rainy and it might be February, like we're in now, and a little wind and you're thinking, when he was scratch, or he was really about a plus two, and he'd shoot 78 to 80 and he'd just beat himself up. I'd go, par was about 80 today. 78 is really good in in that crap we just played in. Another story I tell real quick is when he was a ninth grader, He was playing varsity basketball at Holy Innocence. They had a big game against one of their rivals, Mount Pisgah. That year as a ninth grader, he ultimately ended up being voted most valuable offensive player on the team. But at that point, early in the year, he wasn't even started. This was early December. They beat Mount Pisgah at home. He came off the bench, scored 14 points. We're driving home because he couldn't drive yet. I said, buddy, what a game. I said, ninth grader playing varsity, he scored 14 he goes, Dad, I was like six for 15 from the floor. He went home. It was about 35 degrees outside. He went out back at 10 o'clock at night on our sport court and shot for an hour and a half. Everybody was just stunned. And I said, if you looked at Sam's life, really in all phases, athletically, friends, career starting out with a great organization, et cetera, everybody would go, man, Sam Asbury's got it going on. And everybody thought that but Sam. And the day he passed, I woke up. It, it just started like any normal day. He was up early and dressed and out the door and hung around home a little bit before he went. But uh, he was off to do his thing. He and my wife, Kelly, were super close. And that particular morning, I can't remember exactly how it went down, but I know he came over to Kelly right before he left and just gave her a big hug and said, Mom, I love you. He would tell Kelly he loved her. He might have gone walking out the door, hey, love you, Mom. I'm not going to be here for dinner tonight or am. He was living at home at the time. And so he went off on his way. I left the house pretty early that morning, went to work, and Kelly was doing her thing. She came home that day, and his car was in our driveway, which was not totally uncommon, because sometimes he would come home and just use home to do some phoning, call some people, and just find a quiet place. She sat around home for a couple hours and had texted him, said, hey, what are you doing up there? And didn't hear back. Probably around 2.33 that day, he took his life, and she was home for her to be there when it occurred. It's heartbreaking for me to think about. And my wife is, Kelly, she is an extraordinary woman. She is so strong. She was there with him for the most part when he passed. And on the one hand, it breaks my heart, young, what I can believe. But on the other hand, I don't think he would have had it any other way. I still remember her calling me. I was at the office and she said, you got to come home quick. And she told me what had happened and what was happening. And I rushed home. There was nothing we could do. The folks that 
came, police, paramedics, etc. I think Kelly couldn't do anything. I was trying to help him. They just said there was not anything you were to be able to do. He left us a note, thank God. We have often said as heartbreaking as the note was, we're so thankful he left us one because, boy, would we really be wondering. He wrote it to Kelly and I, his brother and sister, Ben and Grace, and eight of his best friends. He just shared with us that he had been in a dark place for quite some time. This is almost a direct quote. He said, I wake up every day in agonizing fear of failure, fear of inadequacy, and fear of not being good enough. He said, and I just can't take it anymore. To know how gifted he was and what a great kid he was and was going to be a fine young man, it just breaks your heart. He also said, it may sound weird, but I feel like I've lived a great 23 years. It was such a sweet message while at the same time rips your heart out message. He said, God, please forgive me. Thankfully, he shared with us what he was struggling with because we would have wondered even more. We still wonder because it doesn't make sense to us, but this is a battle. Maybe segues into some of what other things we'll talk about. It's a battle that so many of our young people are facing and unfortunately comes in all shapes and sizes, but the mental health challenge is, is beyond, I think, what anybody realizes unless they're close to it. Yes. Thank you, David, for sharing that. And again, just the courage to share that openly. Thank you. Appreciate you for sharing so others can learn and others can see maybe steps or signs or wherever we're going to talk about next. But thank you for sharing. So I'd love to, first of all, honor and appreciate Kelly for being just a rock through what I can only imagine is a unimaginable circumstance. Kudos to Kelly for everything that she has endured and overcome and overcoming. I'd love to move it forward from that day. What was going through your mind and what was happening in your family for the next week or month? What's the immediate impact of what's happening in your world at that time? Yeah, as you hear in other many tragedies like this and there's significant loss or trauma, I think we probably went into shock. You go into automatic mode of the things you have to do. You never want to even think about losing a child, beginning to make preparations for a funeral, for a burial, finding obituaries, etc. So part of it is that. The other part is what you do is you begin to notify folks of some of the hardest calls. And I did all of those. I wasn't going to put that on Kelly, but just you begin letting people know. First, you call your daughter and your son, and my daughter was at University of Georgia. All the kids were close, but those two were really close. My daughter, Grace, was close to both of her brothers. Then my son, Ben, was in the military at the time. He was in the Air Force, going into Special Forces, and he wasn't reachable at the time, and they had to find him. So you're letting people know. I would say one of the greatest gifts that happened was the outpouring that we had from our friends and family. I was still today blown away at the support we had from friends and some that you would maybe expect it. I don't think you deserve to expect it from anybody. To some that were just amazing that we expected probably would be amazing. And some that you didn't even realize would be that amazing that were. And my sister-in-law, Leanne Asbury, who's my brother's wife and is a great lady, she just came in and took over, as did a couple of other friends. But that support was unbelievable. And Matt, it went on for two weeks, if not longer. Another great friend of mine and business partner, Jason Brady. It's interesting in times like that, what you learn of people. And I didn't learn anything negative on anybody. The care and the devotion that Jason Brady gave to me and gave to our family was inspiring, is what I would say. He really stands out. And I could list of several others that did. So that was the outpouring of friends. Other than the arrangements we had to make, We just were at home and had folks putting their arms around us in multiple ways. Some just hugging us, some from a faith standpoint, et cetera. That's what 
happen immediately. And I'm sitting here trying to recount as you're going through that you do. You are having a lot of what in the world just happened. Why? How? One of the things we were told is don't try to figure it out. Don't blame yourself. Don't try to figure it out because you're not going to be able to. I don't know if that answered your question exactly, but that's what took place. Once again, you're in shock. And you also understand people grieve differently. And Kelly and I have certainly done that. My son, Ben, they got to him. He made it home in a day or two. It was great to put our arms around him and my daughter and so forth. One thing I want to appreciate about you, David, is the way that you would use the words, the greatest gift that came from this. And that sounds like a man who has a strong faith. When you can see a tragic situation and turn it into, here's a gift that God offered us was the outpouring of support from people like Jason and the family, Leanna. And so thank you for sharing that, uh, that there was a gift. There was something around being connected and loved that came from it. Well, I think it speaks to the power of relationships. And I think I've read something even recently that talks about one of the common characteristics of people that live long lives is they have strong relationships. Part of it, my business lends itself to that. We've just been surrounded by a great community in a number of ways, whether it was just people we knew growing up and really active at Northside Youth Organization for years at PC Road United Methodist Church. I've been fortunate enough to be associated with Northwestern Mutual for 37 or 38 years, whatever it is now. So many great people that were either colleagues there or became clients while I was there. And then a next chapter professionally with a company called One Digital Health and Benefits. Those folks were great as well. I think it's the fact that we had great relationships poured into those and people poured back to us through the years and certainly at this time. Matt, it's funny that you talk about gifts. I share this with people. This is a weird way to say it. I wrote a piece called What Has Sam Given Me? As I've tried to go deeper into my faith through this and I have, I don't know how I could have navigated this without my faith. But I feel Sam is calling me or gave me the impetus to be a better Christian, be a better husband, be a better father, be a better friend, be a better leader. That's a journey, not a destination. I hope I do it pretty well sometimes, and I'm sure there's other times it really needs work. But I really do think in some way that this event was calling me to do things better and do it in his honor and the honor of my other two children. That's what I try to do. And there's other things we're doing I'd be glad to talk about. Those things are really important. I don't know any other way to handle this than to try to honor him by doing those things and also doing some things that can make a difference to others, which we've started a foundation that I can tell you more about if you're interested. The other thing I'd say about losing Sam that somebody I was doing some work with, he asked me, what does Sam want you to do? And I said, well, Sam would want me. And she said, no, I didn't say what would Sam want. So I said, what does Sam want? So she said, Sam's human body is not here, but Sam is here. His spirit is here. And it really hit me. And I said, I said, you know what Sam would want? Sam doesn't want me to sit around and cry. Sam doesn't want me to sit around and boat. He wants me to go play golf. He would want me to go see a Hawks game or a Braves game with Ben or Grace. Sam would want me and us to continue to live life. That really hit me. That goes back to trying to continue to live in a way he would be proud of and my other two children are proud of. And once again, do it in a way that honors him. And he's up there. My, my daughter is a singer-songwriter in the country music world. Her name is Grace Asbury. She wrote a song and sings it from time to time called Greatest Angel. It's about him. He said, he's our greatest angel. And so that's really what I think about. He's up there looking down. He's often looking down. My golf ball now has his number on it. His high school number was number 20. So my golf balls are all number 20. Huh. And I have his initials on the side. And I've 
said a few times that to people that know Sam, Sam is up there telling me to pick a different ball. Said, Dad, if you're going to play like this, do not be using that golf ball. (laughs) Said, if you're going to hit shots like that, don't tarnish my name and my golf game by that. We often laugh about his quips and he would just crack you up. He was hilarious. I'm curious here, since you mentioned golf and Sam was like a scratch or plus two handicap and you no slouch yourself there at a four or five used to be a one or two. I'm curious. Can you tell me the round of golf when he finally caught up to you and finally got you for the first time? Do you happen to remember that first time? What that was like. What I remembered very early, Sam had great hands. His short game around the greens, a good putter. And I remember early, I'm talking about when he was seven, eight, nine years old and when he would hit chip shots or this or that, and I'd be going, wow, and nothing like I did. He actually, <laughs> he doesn't hit the the blade or, or the power chunk like I do. So, he, <laughs> so one was his short game and noticing that so quickly. And I remember one day we were playing in a father-son at Drew Hills Golf Club, and I think it was alternate shot, and he hit a drive right down the middle, and I had the wedge in, and I airmailed the green and put us in jail. <laughs> and he hit this most magical little flop shot that trickled down a tier to about two feet. And I stepped up and just dead yanked it and missed it. Oh, oh. <laughs> and I looked at him and he just was looking at me to sit down, just shaking his head. Just, <laughs> so that was one. Around the time he was 13, he hit the ball. He grew reasonably early. Sam ended up being about 6'3". But even as a thir- you know, 13-year-old, he was long and lanky. He was, at 13, he was hitting it. Certainly with me, if not by me, at 14 and 15, he was 16. He was sitting at 50 yards past me. He played in an amateur tournament that takes place at Druid Hills every year called the Dogwood Invitational. We played in that a couple of years, and which is a, one of the top amateur tournaments for college kids and amateurs in the country. He won the long drive contest his second year in that. He hit it 356 in the long drive contest. One of the cool things, I'll tell this quick side story about what honoring Sam is being in my business, we've had significant amounts of insurance on all of our children and when Sam died unfortunately we never envisioned seeing the insurance go into play like that but he has a really good friend named JJ Gray who was a senior at Georgia State when Sam was a freshman they became great friends JJ was the number one player down there and really about a week before Sam died he asked me he said hey dad would you be willing to sponsor JJ I said and I really I didn't know I said is JJ still actively trying to go after it and he goes yeah but he just doesn't have any money he's caddying out at Cherokee and he's just trying to pay an entry into this event or that event and I said how much is he looking for he said I don't really know let me talk to him and that's the last time we talked about it because that happened I think the Saturday or Sunday before he died JJ and his wife Key came over as we were all going through the, the aftermath and I just told JJ I talked to Kelly about it and I said hey tell me about your golf and he told me he was wanting to play. He won collegiate tournaments at Georgia State. He won. He's British. He came over. Nobody had any idea who he was. He went and played in a kind of a sun a sunbelt tournament the first term of the year, and he won it. And then he went up to Vanderbilt and played in SE with all the SEC big boys and won that. So that's his first two tournaments as a freshman. So J.J. had and has a lot of game. But I just told him when he walked in after doing some little due diligence with his former college coach, Joe Inman, and Sam's coach, and Joe said, no, J.J.'s got it. Can he make it? We'll see. But when J.J. came in, I said, hey, I just want to let you know, after he told me it's golf, we're sponsoring you, and we're going to do it for the next three years. I said, but let me say, I'm not sponsoring you. Sam does. 
JJ, he played on the Corn Ferry Tour last year, and uh, he's in pursuit of it. He just missed keeping his card for this year, so he's doing some Monday qualifiers and some different things. Sam's his greatest angel, and uh, JJ puts Sam's initials on his ball every tournament and has something about Sam on his bag and everything. JJ was one of the eight friends that Sam messaged <laughs> to before he left us. Just a couple of kind of cool stories that ways we're trying to honor Sam and lift him up and lift others up by way of Sam. Thank you for sharing the story about your golf ball and JJ's. And now, a quick break for a word from your sponsor. Today's sponsor of the Eternal Optimist podcast is a quote. Try to accept without judgment. The moments when you're in between where you want to be and where you are now. Team, when I heard that quote, I wanted to read it out loud. Because no matter where you're at right now, you're on the way to somewhere. Don't let the road to somewhere, wherever you're on, wherever you're going right now in your journey, don't let that be what you're so focused on that you don't see the beauty in this moment, the beauty in this podcast episode, in the conversation that may be coming next, in the person you're getting ready to see. The beauty is in the moment, my friends. Accept it without judgment where we are right now because you can make magic happen right now. Today's sponsor of the Eternal Optimist podcast, Being Present Now. Now back to the show. I'm also curious, I'm going to try to link it in the show notes, the Grace Asbury song, The Greatest Angel. Love to, I'd love to put that in there too. You mentioned the foundation. I'd love to go into that and talk about further ways that you're honoring Sam and your passion to this. Can you talk a little bit about the foundation, please? Sure. So one of the things in the spirit of honoring his life and making Sam's life continue to make a difference. We started, I said we, it'd be our family and many of his great friends, most of them lifelong friends, but uh, we started the Samuel L. Asbury Foundation. And our mission really is around four themes. One, obviously, is prevention. It's all to fight against suicide and mental health challenges. So one is prevention. Two is awareness to do things that will create awareness about this epidemic. Three is acceptance. When I say acceptance, it's really about trying to help people that are struggling understand it's okay to not be okay. Because Sam was struggling. This was not something that just happened one week. He had an emotional episode probably six to nine months before this. And that was one of those that we said, why stuff? And in hindsight, you go, no, he was calling out. He was saying that he didn't like where he was. He felt empty spiritually, felt empty relationally, he physically felt like he was out of shape. I think he was scared too about going into this new world. We think it's important that people know it's okay to say they're struggling because so many of our young people won't tell anybody. And then the last piece is hope, to create hope, one, for those that are struggling, obviously, but two, for those that have been affected, either by folks struggling with mental health, but certainly those that have taken their lives. It affects certainly parents, siblings, other relatives, friends, been really tough on his friends. And none of them saw it coming either. We've recognized through our work with the foundation is there is no similar shape or size to this. It comes in all shapes and sizes. Also, one of Sam's eighth best friend's brother took his life about a year or so after Sam did, and he struggled mightily for at least a year. His folks knew he was really struggling. The situations like Sam who did it, and you're just caught flat-footed, and you see Stephen, who his dad will tell you he woke up every day worrying was today going to be the day. 
Stephen was upfront about it enough to say, Dad, if it's going to be like this, I don't even want to go on. We're also trying through the foundation to support organizations that are attacking this. Our very first year, as we were learning this world, we supported the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. One of our other themes is we want to try to do something that we think would be meaningful to Sam. That first year, we supported also Northside Youth Organization, where he grew up playing sports, which I think is one of the great places. It's just family-oriented. It's youth sports. It's football, basketball, baseball, softball, and even cheerleading. It just creates an environment that's healthy. Everything from teaching kids how to compete, but teaching them how to just be part of a community. So we loved that organization. He loved that organization. It was meaningful to him, so we supported that in a big way. This past year, we supported an organization called The Hidden Opponent, which was started by a college athlete who struggled with her mental health. And as you follow this world of mental health challenges, you hear the stories of the Stanford goalkeeper who was a star of the national championship game and great-looking young lady who had great friends and took her life, or the young man, Helensky, who was the Washington State quarterback who had won a bowl game and was projected to be an NFL first or second round draft choice and out of nowhere took his life. That hidden opponent is, and I love the name because that's what it is in many cases, a hidden opponent. They're trying to go into college campuses and high schools with campus champions to start it as helping athletes, but it's going beyond that to help these young people fight this epidemic. And then there's a team at Texas Tech University that got a grant to do work around suicide and mental health challenges and studying and learning all the different things about what causes it. Why do kids not tell people? Who do they tell? How should parents navigate this world beforehand, during, and after? So we're supporting that. Hopefully, if we can save one life, then it's making a difference in the name of Sam. And I'd be remiss also if I didn't call out on one We've had remarkable support in the foundation. This past year, we raised about $250,000. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention his fraternity at University of Georgia. The Sigma Chi fraternity has really taken this cause of mental health challenges and suicide prevention and have done some things. They play a in-pads football game versus another fraternity that raises money for this. They do a suicide prevention walk. They have something up there called Fight Night where they have actual boxing matches between the Sigma Chi's and the KA's and the, the first time I went, goodness gracious, this is crazy. <laughs> These kids all go through boxing training. They have real ref, real ring. Had 1,100 people there this past year. We think there's some great, great synergy in coming together on fighting this cause. We think we're really just starting. We're excited about some of the things we're going to be able to accomplish going forward to raise even more money, all in the spirit of trying to make a difference here because it's a mess. I don't know if many people know this, but suicide is the second leading cause of death for individuals between ages 15 and 24 but after accidents. And unfortunately, fentanyl may be chasing that. I actually think this fentanyl epidemic and the mental health challenges, I think they go together in, in many circumstances. We're trying to learn more about that. The board we have and others that participate and help with this is great. The people that we've done a golf tournament every year with Sam would love that we do that. We've had great participation and support there. We're looking at doing maybe a singer-songwriter event to help raise money for this, along with what the Sigma Chi's will continue to do. And now the whole Georgia fraternity organization is expressing some interest in partnering in some way with the foundation to attack this. We think we have an opportunity to go much bigger and broader than we have so far. Once again, it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. I don't know a better way that we can honor Sam than to live in a certain way, but to make a difference others. You're hitting so many different places here with the hidden opponent and then the local sports place and now the fraternity and just so many different avenues that are open up exposure to this challenging 
subject. That sounds amazing. I'm curious because you mentioned earlier you wanted to honor Sam and you wanted to do something that he would want. And one of those things is you feel called to be a better husband, better father, better Christian, better leader. I wonder how does this experience show up in your leadership when it comes to leading your family, leading your work, leading your community? How is this helping you to become a better leader, David? That's a really interesting question for a number of reasons. One is, I think it causes me to ask myself that question much more often than maybe I did in the past. And at some level, helps you, maybe makes it humbling, is what I would say, because you go, wow, did I miss there? Or could I be better there? I certainly was performing at some level in all of the areas that I mentioned, but I, uh, I don't know how well I was performing, maybe thought better than I thought it was. I used the term earlier, to journey, not a destination. I think it's caused me to go on that journey as I relate as a Christian. It's to, to try to go deeper there, to try to challenge myself to, one, walk the talk. And actually, you know, we talk about in our Bible study, I, I don't want to be a fan of Christ. I want to be a follower. What does that mean? While my faith has always been important to me, there was a lot of work to do. Kelly and I will be celebrating our 29th anniversary this year and so blessed to be married to such a strong and great woman. We all fall down, but I have such an opportunity to do better as it relates to how I love her, how I support her, how I partner with her. I'm super close with my two children and was with Sam as well. And so trying to make sure that I talk to them often, that I'm there for them, that I slow down. It's interesting. If there's a place I could really do better is uh, to get off my blooming devices. But if they listen to this, they'll go, I'll say. That's something that challenges us all. But what's ironic about that? is you know, these things are all addictive, whether it's our phones, our iPads. I, uh, I applaud the folks that are able to do better than I do with those. But people ask me, what do you think Sam was challenged with? And I said, I think social media is a disaster for probably all of us, but certainly for young people in so many ways. And there's so many resources it provides that are advantageous and we all use and utilize and gain from. Yes. But so much of it's a mess. People have asked about Sam. I said it. Number one, it disconnects you. It just disconnects you from human interaction. But we'd be sitting in our family room watching the Hawks game, and Sam would be over on the couch, and he's just glued to his phone. He's looking up the game, and he knows what's going on. I go, Sam, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just looking at Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. It disconnects you. The other thing it does is the look-at-me world. Everybody likes to take pictures of how great they are. I think that's a secondary issue. The other thing is, Sam made a comment a couple of months, maybe before he passed, that Kelly one night was at dinner saying, would everybody get off their phones? And Sam made the comment and goes, yeah, I got to get off my phone at night. And I said, Sam, what do you mean? And he said, after I turned the light out, I stay on my phone for another hour to an hour and a half. I said, really? And he goes, yeah. I go, what are you looking at? He goes, I don't know, maybe texting or looking at sports scores or watching a video or and maybe he's looking at things that weren't healthy for his mind, but certainly what's not healthy for your mind is to finally turn the light out at 1230 at night and your mind's still racing because of all the blue light and you're getting up at six in the morning and you're literally getting two to three, maybe on a good night, four hours of sleep. Anything you read will tell you that sleep deprivation is one of the main causes of depression. I talk about the impact of social media on our young people, certainly my son. I should walk my talk better in those areas. You asked as a leader, I'm going through a transition in my leadership as it relates to the business world in that in April of 19, our not Northwestern Mutual, but a benefits company that I was a, one of three owners in, we sold to a company here in town called One Digital Health and Benefits, which was a great event and an incredible blessing in many different ways. But that changed my world from something being 
mind you, I was the CEO of a company called Northwestern Benefit Corporation and ran that for about 23 years. While One Digital has been a great partner, and I continue to run Georgia for One Digital for the first few years, it wasn't the same. And what's happened recently, and all within a plan, was I have acquiesced my leadership over to a great lady that I worked with for 15 years who I was the senior managing principal. Now I'm just a senior principal and a great friend and respected colleague, April Husted is in charge. So I'm navigating the world of stepping away from that. And once again, it was totally the right thing and the timing was good and it made sense and I'm 100% good with it. So from a leadership standpoint, professionally, that world has been very fluid the last three to four years compared to where it was before. So that's been interesting. I still think there's an opportunity to lead every day, whether it's leading and mentoring folks in our organization or outside our organization, et cetera. And then I'm trying to be a better friend, go deeper with people. I found that I think women maybe don't have as many relationships. They tend to go deeper than men do. Maybe not all, but I think the masculinity of it keeps you from diving below the surface. So I'm trying to do that and also really trying to recognize who those people are that you choose to spend time with. That doesn't mean you don't spend time with other people, but who do you go deep with and who do you really try to develop? meaningful relationships with. The other thing I'm trying to be better at is golf, Matt. It's just not working. That is one of my quests this year. I've become what I would call a recreational golfer. And on occasion, I can go out and shoot around in the mid to low 70s. I catch lightning in a bottle maybe three or four times a year, but usually not. And it could be anywhere from 78 to 92 the other times. And I'm trying to stop that. So I've made a commitment this year that I'm said, I think I'm 62. I think I have about a 10-year run, maybe a little shorter, maybe a little longer. I haven't really lost any distance. That's probably technology, but I'm tired of being recreational. I want to try to give it one more go to be better. So anyway, that's a quick aside. I say that you have modeled really well today. We talked about masculinity a second ago. Maybe it's not in the culture, the way that your generation grew up and mine grew up to be outwardly transparent or open or share feelings. And I think you've modeled that incredibly well today, very transparent and sharing the part that some people don't want to ask about, they don't know about, and you've shared so much so deep today. So we appreciate you, David, for sharing for sure. And I'm not going to take a low-hanging fruit jab at your golf game here. but uh, we'll, play one, we'll play one of these days. And by the time we play, I'm going to be better. I can we'll see say, how, I'm going to say, how did, how did you like that three or four handicap beating the scratch guy? Yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, you named <laughs> courses. I played some of those courses you've named and Cherokee and Druid and Peachtree are no joke. So if you're going in there with the four handicap shooting 90, it's not surprising. Those aren't the most forgiving places to, uh, to hone the handicap, but good. Good to hear it. I'd love to wrap things up today and put a bow on it with maybe one more serious question and just a couple of uh, fun, light things to conclude. The serious question might be, through this experience in the last three years, you've shared the gift. It's giving you fuel or inspiration to honor Sam. And there's a number of ways you've honored Sam. How has this new lens impacted the way that you view the seriousness of your work? or of maybe the perfectionism or the achievement mindset? How is this, at our core, spiritual and family challenge influence the way you view work and your professional world? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I like to work. I always have. And I was fortunate enough to have a very uh, a very successful Northwestern Mutual career, fortunate enough to be part of building a very successful employee benefits organization. I don't know that I was always the most capable or the brightest, but I certainly was not afraid to work. So that's just something that's always been really important to me and I've enjoyed. And I don't see slowing down on that. So there's a little bit of a conflict. But I think to your question, I think I've realized that it doesn't matter as much maybe as you think it does. And what does matter are relationships. I lost my mother a few weeks back and she was 95, lived a great life and certainly sad to lose her, but what a life she lived. And as we were at the funeral, I had a chance to say a few words and I said, the testimony of my mom is look at all the people in this congregation. And there'd be a lot more here if there weren't some that beat her up to heaven. It's just a testament to who she was as a woman because of her relationships. It used to be, I wouldn't beat myself up, but there probably was some of that, a little bit of that maybe that Sam inherited that if I'm, I didn't take a vacation other than maybe a four or five day golf trip my first, before I got married. And I didn't get married until I was 34. So my first 10 years in the insurance business, I didn't take a vacation other than a Wednesday through a Sunday in a golf trip. And, you know, that Shane Kelly said, no, we're going on vacation. But I realized <laughs> that you can be gone and everything's going to be okay. What you're asking me is a challenge for me because I like work. It's part of who I am. It's part of my identity, but letting go of that. And one of my challenges also, Matt, is I, people ask what you're doing. I said, I'm actually doing a lot of things. I'm still working with One Digital as one of their senior principals and trying to really have an impact there. I'm still working with Northwestern Mutual and actually trying to do more there than I have in the past when I was running Northwestern Benefit Corporation almost full-time. But I'm also trying to pour into the foundation, and I'm trying to pour into my daughter's singing career and songwriting career. And also my son, Ben, has started a trucking company called United Spark Carriers up in Columbia and has three trucks, three drivers, and I'm so proud of him and what he's doing. I'm not part of that other than hopefully I'm a sounding board and can offer him some advice or wisdom that helps him at some point. So I'm really busy, which is good and healthy. Kelly and I spend a ton of time together. We have a place in Colorado that's a great respite for us. So we do go there and that's a getaway. It's a long-winded rambling answer, but it's a work in progress, but it's hard for me because work has been an identity and something I enjoy. I am realizing that there's other things that are more important. And while it matters, it doesn't need to be too much. Thank you. I'd love to, to send us home with the lightning round here and just ask you a couple questions, a little bit lighter in nature. Let's take you back to the light side here and ask you if there is a particular book that's had an influence in your world, what might be a book recommendation that's been impactful for you? Oh, wow. I'm a reader of mainly business books. I would say anything as it relates to running a business, anything written by Patrick Lindsay. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, it's about organizational health. So whether it's the five dysfunctions of a team or the advantage or the four obsessions of an extraordinary executive, Good to Great by Jim Collins was a book that, you know, a theme that comes out of that book is good is the enemy of great. So those are two that jump out at me and uh, Think and Grow Rich, which is an old one by Napoleon Hill is an awesome one, but I could go for a while on this one. Well, I'll pull us out of the rabbit hole because I'm a big reader too. And I, you said Lencioni. I'm like, yeah, I love that one. Okay, let's go to a uh, song. There's a song that uh, gives you energy, aside from Grace's song, because we said that Grace has an amazing song out there, The Greatest Angel. But what other song might give you inspiration or joy? Wow, that's a tough one. The song that jumped into my mind, and I don't listen to it much anymore, would be Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner. It's a great song that I like. So it's just a great Southern rock song. I love country. So any Toby Keith, Tim McGraw song, maybe something like that, which is a great Tim McGraw song, or Live Like You Were Dying. Toby Keith, How Do You Like Me Now? Those are songs that jump out at me. Thank you. Good. To wrap it up, when you hear the words eternal optimism, 
What does eternal optimism mean to you, David? The word that jumps out at me is eternal because I think about eternal life, and it makes me think about where we are now. It's just a speck in time. It's hard to understand that, but it really it is. But I think about trying to have that be an anchor, if you will, for how we live. And one of the things that through some faith study recently and a Bible study is we're going through something called resilience. And we talked about that God does his greatest work in your toughest times. As we think about eternal life and we think about our faith, I think to recognize that and to understand that he's always working, trying to mold us and make us better. And sometimes we don't understand that it is about eternal life. There's something after our time here on earth. I think it can help us be eternally optimistic, which is hard. I'll say one thing I've come to recognize through our hardship is how many other people are having hardships. And you hear about it. I have a good friend. His son is estranged, has been for almost 20 years, never sees him. And I know how much we love our children. I know how much he loves his children. How, man, how tough is that? Now, we've lost a son, but in a way he's lost. But he knows his son's living, and he hears about him. Another one who I heard recently, a young man who is 47 now, who OD'd for the 12th time. And his parents have had to take him into their house at age 47. So many people are struggling and have challenges in one shape, form, or fashion. And it may not be their children. It could be something else. It could be illness. It could be a rela- it could be relational. But just I would encourage people to try to seek out their faith and understand that our time here is short. And understand that there's positive work going on by way of our Lord and Savior. Amazing. Thank you, David, for investing the time and sharing your message. And we certainly appreciate you and love you for taking that time, recounting a heartfelt story and one that we can use to honor Sam and help others. Thank you, David, for being here on the Eternal Optimist podcast. We certainly appreciate you, my friend. Thank you. Matt, thank you. I'm honored to have been a guest. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.